Hello and welcome to a new show hosted here on City Centre. This episode is the second audio summary produced from the roundtable series of the Urban Health Council, titled Living Symbiotic with Nature. The event was a place and forum to discuss some of our recent work coming from the lab and was split into two parts. The first, a series of questions posed to our guests, and then it was opened up into a general conversation. Our guests were Jocena Caliste, and Jocena runs Land in Our Name, a grassroots black-led collective committed to reparations in Britain by connecting land and climate justice with racial justice. Second guest was Jake Robinson, an ecologist and interdisciplinary PhD researcher. He is currently investigating nature-based interventions and the relationship between the environment, the microbiome and human health. Third guest was Marie Mueller. Marie is a PhD candidate at University College London on the Leverhulme Doctoral Training Programme for the Ecological Study of the Brain and part of the Centric Lab research team. And our fourth was Charlotte Kemp. Charlotte is a neuroscientist and head of research at the Fred Company, a research and production studio with a focus on immersive technologies. This event and podcast series in general is made possible by our sponsors, the National Lottery Community Fund and Lendlease, and members of the Urban Health Council themselves. Supporting our work means supporting the production of research for the people, made without politics and prejudice. We have business memberships available, as well as the ability to support our work and gain access to more events and workshops in an online database of reports, playbooks, studies, and more through our Patreon setup at patreon.com forward slash The links will be in the show. Now on with the show, where you'll hear selected snippets from a conversation, starting off with Marie Mueller introducing the topics that have been underpinned in recent reports. To sort of set the scene, the context really is, well, I guess climate change and, and environmental emergencies as sort of the, probably the biggest threats to human health and to survival in general, um, and understanding that that is the case that's basically destroying our planet uh, really um, will also, um, yeah, threatens our survival, of course, and the survival of the planet. Then we sort of need to reframe our relationship with nature. We argue that we need to reframe that. We shouldn't really understand nature as a service. We should build a mutualistic relationship so it must be in balance, you know, it's not enough to build a few bike lanes and plant a few trees and that's it. If we really think about mutualism and understand that as a, as a balance between giving and taking to nature and humans, then we really need to give a lot back. Like <laughs> nature really has provided us with everything. Um, so what can we give back? Arguably one of the key things is to build, to actually build an emotional relationship with nature, to understand that nature is our kin, it's our friend, they are our friend, that is something that I will describe in a second, that we also need to reframe um, how we refer to, to nature. When we are in nature, we are not, it's not just that we are breathing cleaner air, we're breathing more nourishing air, and that air that's coming in, it's filled of um, specific combinations of bacteria that we need inside of our gut to be healthy in the way is that our gut then has a conversation with our stress response and our immune system. So an example of that is that they're looking at specific 
um, bacterium that help mitigate how much cortisol is being um, produced inside of our body. And we do understand that cortisol plays a key role in the mitigation and also the homeostasis and health of the stress response. If we do not take care of our environments, let's say that the soil becomes compromised or the water that is being put into the soil becomes compromised and polluted, so does what comes out of that soil. So does what then we ingest becomes contaminated or of less nourishment. So already there directly we see a line that as nature becomes unhealthy, um, so do we. So where did we get, how did we get here? So we did a little bit of digging when we did the symbiotic um, nature report and it all started <laughs> in give or take fifth or sixth century here in Europe where y'all moved from a clan familial system into a feudalistic system. And there you started with classism where these are the people that own the land, these are the people that work the land and what's interesting is there was there's a study that we included that as europe moved into moved into feudalism i.e the land had to be worked it turned into an it it turned into a possession and a resource and an economics and in a, in a capital that is when diseases started to spring about both because they didn't pay attention so john locke talked a lot about the productivity of land. And it was just a constant one-way exploitation of nature, but nature gets sick. You can't always exploit something to in infinite and not expect that there's going to be a wear and tear, that there's going to be a ramification down the line. And so they never paid attention to the restoration of and the rehabilitation and the health of nature. And then the people that were working the land did um, started to get sick. So there is a direct tie between the start of feudalism and that change in perspective that we are separate and more disgustingly, we are above nature, we can dominate nature and the springing up of multiple diseases. In the same way that we use COVID to highlight how there's health, health inequities in local communities and stuff like that. Um, and it is a good like kind of litmus test. I think the bubonic plague and the black deaths were kind of like the litmus test of saying, this is why the way you're eating, the way, the way you're living, the way you're doing commerce is all not healthy and is all not sustainable. Nature, that, that word has been problematized and people have suggested alternatives like living ecosystems or living environment, like a real emphasis on something that we associate with ourselves as doing, you know, like what is the equivalent of a tree's heartbeat. The connection with nature is this multi-sensorial um, sort of process, you know, this, like you said, the smells, the sounds, the sights, etc. Um, and I see nature, I, I guess I view nature as a set of relationships as well, um, which hopefully I um, would like to be a part of. So um, it's more of a partnership sort of thing for me. Um, but there are obviously lots of different ways of thinking about nature. Um, and I think we've kind of lost our way um, in thinking about it as a partnership and thinking about relationships. Um, and like, like Aricelli said before, it's kind of, especially in the Western world, we've kind of become accustomed to this 
dominionistic view of nature that we must control it as opposed to it actually being um, a reciprocal relationship. When I'm with nature and feel connected to nature, it's, I feel like I'm kind of in like my natural state of being. So we could view ourselves as these walking ecosystems, um, uh, yeah, these symbiotic units in constant interaction with the wider environment. In the report that I mentioned in my introduction, there was um, people who became food growers having come from really destructive professions. So either gardening using chemicals or mining um, and sort of were saying things like, oh, I just suddenly realized that you could put things in the ground rather than take out. Um, you know, the soil gives so much if we look after it. And basically learning of about nature, being aware of nature and um, promoting awe for nature, I think, because it's such an awesome thing. There's so many awesome ecosystems, species and relationships that we really need to learn about those relationships. And um, from a young age, though, I would say it's really important. So the young age part is really important in terms of psychological benefits, pro-ecological behaviours, but also establishing um, yeah, health benefits through immunity via um, interactions with microbes as well. So, from a young age, we need to be engaged with nature. There's the biological pathways, which Aricelli has spoken about. So um, through the endocrine system, central nervous system, and the immune system. So contact with bi biogenic compounds and microbes in the environment has a beneficial effect. When we're in nature, our attention is like we have a soft fascination with the environment, um, which is a state which is restorative to our capacities. I think when I focus on children, um, just, you know, the idea of outdoor play as being really important for development of, of multiple um, aspects of, um, well, cognition, um, uh, self-regulation, so, you know, multiple aspects of child development are factored, of course, by um, outdoor play. So when I focus on children, that is really one of the, the key mechanisms, I think. And, you know, nowadays that's, that children are often not allowed to play unsupervised um, or they are not allowed to climb a tree because they could fall, because parents are, you know, they're they concerned about the safety. This is something that I think about more now with my research that that then adds, you know, it's also complex. These sort of developments add to sort of reduced outdoor play and that then has a, is a problem for development. So um, I think outdoor play for children is, a, is an important pathway that we have to think about as well. No one's really mentioned spiritual ecologies yet. And as the former health researcher who's gone into that, I'm going to just, you know, provoke other health researchers into talking about spirituality because really like what is driving loads of indigenous people to actually protect the world's biodiversity um, it's not stats on health inequalities which might be what's calling us to to be in this room I think that this is one of the most disconnected countries that I've visited uh, or lived in um, in terms of um, having that connection and um, that there are people from, you know, yeah, faith-based nature connectors and um, seeing like what different religions have said um, about the role of um, 
humans as, as uh, earth stewards. Um, there's, yeah, I mean, there's a, a couple of books I'm trying to work my way through at the moment, like um, Eco-Womanism, which is a real like black feminist perspective around ecologies. And there's a lot, um, I guess, from um, like Western hemisphere Christianity um, that's been brought into that. Um, and having been um, working, well, we did an event at the Willowbrook Farm, which is in um, Oxford, which uh, Guppy came to. Guppy's on the call. Um, and so hearing more about Islam and farming and uh, nature connection perspectives on that. So that's another book I'm trying to work my way through um, as well. But there's, I mean, just aware that there's tons um, tons of different um, voices around around that and you know it's, uh, I guess shamanism seen this explosion and uh, people that are trying to create better relationships through um, psychedelics or um, different plant medicines um, yeah I mean there's just there's just so much that, that's out there and um, as health researchers we might not always be respected for bringing that up by institutions that was definitely my experience of it um, Yes, profession, Robin Kimura, very important voice in that. The cool K-O-O-L system of uh, the Miche uh, down in Southern Mexico, going into Guatemala, of how they create, um, it's a jump off of Professor Kimura's Three Sisters. So they look at three, three sisters and beyond in terms of how everything is connected, but it's all, the way that they plant, when they plant, how they plant, it's all through a spiritual guidance system. It's, um, I think the most important thing there is that even stewardship is a little bit of a problematic word because again, it puts the human at the center. And if you're gonna look at spirituality is that nature herself um, or themselves are guiding you and that's why you have to be in it. And that's also the purpose of shamanism is it allows you to take down that frontal lobe functionality and connect with the spirituality so you can listen. And so one can listen to how nature is telling us to be. Um, nature technically does not need the stewardship, we just need to listen. It's interesting. Um, I know from uh, Justina mentioned psychedelic um, drug research. I know from that science perspective that it's to do with affecting what's called the default mode network in the brain, um, which basically is, has a has a fundamental role in forming your ego. So um, how much you think about yourself, essentially. So that has an effect of dissolving that part of um, yourself so that you become more one with nature. read a book about walking and the author um, said, you know, maybe we don't need to be mindful, we need to be mindless. Basically, when we walk and when we are nature, so not, don't just focus and think all the time, even if it's for a good purpose, sort of the mindfulness idea. But I just wanted to mention that, that that's, I found that interesting as well, just being mindless and, you know, just take it in without really trying. Sort of modern civilization was sort of created and feudalism, and colonial domination um, sort of expanded, that the scientific thinking at the time or the scientific community at the time were pursuing secularism and, you know, there's like, you know, separating science from the church, from spirituality. 
um, and remembering that separation and how that affects the world as we experience it today um, and that like cut off with the ties of the spiritual and the sacred um, and on like spiritual connection and, and nature like um, I'm practicing Muslim and, and something that I always feel when I put my head down in the prayer um, is just like connecting my head with the soil and remembering that I'm of nature, I come from the soil, I nourish myself from it every day and I'll return to the soil. And I think just having those like humbling everyday um, ways of remembering through spiritual practice, like helps us to return to like the core and the spiritual and nature. We're working on something called microbiome inspired green infrastructure, which basically is just a way of trying to get everybody, all the stakeholders involved in landscape design and urban planning to actually think about the um, microbiological aspects of ecosystem. Yeah, we're trying to just get people to shift away from this kind of furniture perspective of um, urban green features towards more of an ecosystems approach. There's no part of our cities that are in any way natural. A park is very unnatural. The tree species that we have in cities are unnatural, artificial hybrids and, and so on. Um, you know, hay fever that we get is largely because we plant only male trees because we don't want fruits messing up our sidewalks and so on. So I think we, we were, we're working on this project where we're planting a, a wildflower meadow. And a wildflower meadow is a pioneer landscape that then immediately turns into weeds the next year. So in order to keep it as a biodiverse um, meadow, we have to manipulate the natural process to stop that happening. And that's important in a city because of the lack of biodiversity. So the unnatural situation requires an unnatural manipulation. There's a book by um... Australian indigenous writer called Bruce Pascoe called um, Dark Emu, who actually argues that um, agriculture was quite sophisticated a long, long time before the sort of known dawn of agriculture in the Middle East, etc. So, like 30, 40, maybe 50,000 years ago in Australia, they were still, they had these really quite sophisticated um, agricultural practices, and yet they were still um, managed to live in this kind of mutualistic relationship with nature. Um, that, that was just my point. That I'm, yeah, I'm not sure if it's the I think I think that no, I think Jared does recognise that. He does acknowledge does he? that because he he describes it as a gradual process. He doesn't say right. there was a point in time when we suddenly started farming. It was a very gradual thing. Yeah, sure. But the issue that he raises is that it enabled growth in the population that then became dependent on that way of life. Mm. So it becomes this sort of. Um, you know, uh, who is going to vote to reduce the population in order to no longer farm anymore is the sort of question he raises. So this, this whole um, phrase at the minute, it's find the right tree for the right place, um, but kind of we're arguing it's the right system for the right system. Any language is imperfect for describing something which exists all around the world. So they, them is a very tokenistic way of saying, this isn't the only way to think about something. Like someone could make an entire language which is much more kind to nature, knowing that, you know, there's some words to do. Okay, so I worked in sexual health for ages. Like there's some words in some languages 
that only really mean shame to describe genitals or certain sexual behaviours. So speaking to people from countries where that's the language that you use to talk about sex means that, you know, it's it's a very emotive thing. And um, with nature, there will be just tons of different ways that we've depersonalized it, de dehumanized it, made it something which is, um, you know, not not given any respect or, or um, the same treatment as, as personhood. And um, I mean, it's interesting. I think I sort of sat there steaming, you know, um, no, nothing personal to the person who raised it, but guns, germs and steel is just ultimately colonial apologia. And that is repeatedly been criticized for a Eurocentric view, for, you know, letting the West off the hook. And, you know, we, we are based not all around the world having this conversation. We're not having this conversation with people who are protecting the earth. We're not, you know, people that are on the front lines of uh, water rights or, or land defenders. You know, we're here researching those people, talking about them if they're lucky a little bit. You know, we've not named enough people. Um, and I wouldn't want to start conversations about um, our relationship with nature without um, really saying like, this is the perspective we're coming from. We are the learners. And we should be at the very, um, you know, we're not doing it in a horizontal learning structure because there's so many people that know more of us that will never even get in the room. And that's because of language, that's because of class, that's because of visas. Um, so many things that limit how much we can actually um, have that conversation with the people that know the most. So people build relationships with, I mean, look at social media, like people build relationships with anything that they can interact, that they can develop with, regardless of whether it's animate or not, um, regardless of whether it's human or not. So it's a lot of it is just the, at the point of interactions and build that interaction, is there is there already a symmetry that leads to you eventually dominating that relationship or does it start on even, even playing fields? Um, and that's the same for nature as it is for people because you people can talk about romantic relationships the same way, right? Like if you're in an environment where there is equity versus one where you're conditioned to already come into power, then unless you have an incredible amount of self-awareness, it's going to be very hard for you not to develop destructive habits. One of the things that I have been doing is giving people access to nature through virtual reality during their working day particularly with people who work in the NHS and this is definitely not a it's not a replacement or a substitute if you will but at the moment the current infrastructure that they have is uh, characterized by dark workplace with not enough light it's polluted, it's very, very built up. They often don't have like scheduled breaks or long enough break or they're not physically near green space. So it's a kind of way to, as it's a tool to kind of maybe harness some of those restorative capacities of nature during the workday. We often say, you know, did you water it in reference to a plant? Don't say it, say, did you water them? Or if you want to call it by their name, um, if you want to name them. But the point is that it's not just a throwaway statement to say it, or, um, you know, if we're going out in nature and you say, um, uh, 
point to the squirrel, to a little kid, and they go, there it is. Again, it's an opportunity to say there they are. Um, and, and it's making sure that nature get outside of humans also gets the respect. Um, so it's not to create the dualism, because of course there is no dualism. We are nature, and we do explain that in, in the nature as healthcare, is that grammatically we correct it. Of course that is still incomplete, because the English language, as we are learning in in um, in our work um, as centric, is not the best language in terms of being able to create a sense of we or unity. It is very much a language that is equipped for hierarchy. Um, so it is very difficult. It's always finding, trying to find a way to hack into English. Um, but again, if we turn to indigenous languages, older languages, the, the the dualism between quote unquote us and nature isn't there and it already it moves directly into kin, kinship we always talk about and centric about systemic but i but with this it's really interesting how it can become a very personal because we are talking about relationships so it can be a very personal um journey in terms of being as small as buying a plant in observing them in their day-to-day. Do they react better to lots of light, not lots of light? What happens when the day is cloudy? How does their behavior change? Um, What is the speed and the rate of their growth? All of these little things can happen with just you building a relationship with a singular plant in your home, in your office.